You're listening to Beyond the Studio, a podcast for artists. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. We're both independent working artists ourselves. And here on the podcast, we have honest conversations with fellow visual artists about their careers and the real work that happens beyond the studio. You can find us online at our website, beyondthe.studio, or on social media at Beyond the Studio, where we share episode links, visuals, and so much more. If you're an artist and would like to be featured on our social media, or maybe even on the show, you can submit yourself to our listener spotlight and share what you're learning beyond the studio. Just follow the link in our show notes or go to beyondthe.studio slash contact. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about, and click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through I am are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you love the show and haven't rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast, what are you waiting for? Please take a moment to show us your support. If you've already done this, thank you. It means so much to us, and it's one of the best ways to help us keep going and growing. Thanks for listening, and now for the show. Okay, recording. Recording. Uh, Hello, listeners. I know it's been a while, but it is I. Your host, Amanda, and your other host, Nicole. (laughs) Welcome back to Beyond the Studio. We're here. (laughs) I've been so nervous to record because it's been so long, but... I know, me too. Now that we're recording, I'm I'm excited to get back into it. We have a lot of things to catch you up on. Uh, It's been quite a while. Yes, as usual, which... I don't know, is this becoming our MO now that we're like, we're going to take a little break. And then like seven months later, we come back and we're like, hey, we're back. I hope not. But I think our breaks are, uh, if anything, a testament to the unpredictability of life, especially life as an artist between the two of us. It's definitely been a pretty wild you know, several months, many months since we took our break. And in case you don't remember, because it's been a long time. Yeah, we took a little break because Nicole and I were both feeling kind of overwhelmed in our own work and lives. And the podcast sort of standard we had set for ourselves was uh, we learned pretty quickly that it was a little absurd and our intentions were good. However, the impact of what we tried was really hard on us. So we have decided to shift gears, which is what led us to our big break so that we could take time to kind of catch up on our own work and lives, get some rest, try our best to do a little bit of recovery from all those years of built up burnout that we now know takes a long time to unpack or or sort of heal or recover from. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty, well, I don't know if rested is the right thing, but I feel really excited to be back and I feel like the break... More balanced. Yeah, definitely more balanced. And the break kind of, I know it allowed me to explore some different art stuff and to take some proper vacations and catch up on, you know, some time with friends and yeah. Yeah. A little recap of where we left off, like Amanda was just saying, well, we had set a goal for for the podcast at the end of 2021 that we wanted to try releasing weekly episodes. And we did that for the first uh, couple of months. We were putting out hour, hour and a half long interviews with other artists every week. Um, And we also had a lot of cool opportunities that came about through Beyond the Studio. Uh, to record our first live in-person event with the Institute of Contemporary Art San Francisco, which involved Amanda flying out here to the West Coast um, so that we could do that. So there were a lot of exciting things happening with the podcast. But then, uh, like Amanda was just saying, we realized pretty quickly that it was turning into um, more and more of a full-time job, uh, whereas we're both 
full-time working artists and uh, just felt like we needed to take a little bit of a step back. So the last episode we recorded, I think in April, May of this year, where we talked a lot about boundaries, burnout, and decided that we were going to go on a little summer break with the podcast. So that summer break turned into a bit of a fall break as well, but now we're slowly starting to get back into recording. And for this episode, we really just wanted to uh, come back, say hello, and catch you up on everything that's been going on uh, in our own lives and journeys the last six months or so before we start getting back into some more artist interviews. So in April, or I think May, when we recorded the last episode, I had just returned from an artist residency in Newfoundland. And Amanda, you were very busy with Close Call, if I remember. What was I doing? What is time? Oh, I know what it was. I did my taxes. And I... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, April tax time. Yeah, so I did my taxes, and I took a very real hard look at my numbers. And I was... A little surprised because for the year of 2020, uh, things had been kind of consistently been going in an upward trend as far as year to year growth for my business. Um, but things really dropped a bit in 2021. And I think they've dropped a bit more in 2022. But I'm saying, you know, we're having this conversation at the end of November and December hasn't hit yet so I I can't really gauge because I'm about to hit like my busiest time typically busy time for you yeah uh like my shop update is next Monday and that will that will determine (laughs) my end of year numbers for the most part but uh yeah I did my taxes and I was really kind of stressed at what I saw and realizing that I needed to make some money fast and uh, there were also just a number of things happening between like home repairs. Both Mike and I kind of simultaneously had car problems and they sort of all happened at once. And I was like, oh, okay, I really need to just put my head down and work, 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 work. <laughs> so that's what I pretty much did for the most part. And that was what led to the decision for me. Yeah, I think one of the reasons our break has kind of gone from summer into fall is that we've been a little bit cautious about reintegrating the podcast back into our lives. And I think initially we just needed to shift focus um, back into our own creative practices. But I think um, so some of that was financial, just realizing that as much as we love the podcast, it's not the primary source of income for either of us. Uh, You know, it's not the thing that's really paying our bills. So needing to just prioritize when it came to our own uh, work-life balance. And then um, the other reason I think just has more to do with, uh, like you were saying, trying to strike a bit more of a balance between our work and life and overcome some of that extended burnout that I think we've been feeling lately as a result of the pandemic and just all of the Um, pressures and expectations we place on ourselves as artists and so Mm -hmm. I know I was feeling a bit of that too and just trying to create a little more space in my life focusing on just one job for once uh, trying to resist the the urge or the impulse to just take on more things for the sake of it and be really intentional about how I'm spending my time Mm -hmm. and also just create um yeah more space like not I guess feeling the need to fill every hour every day with work and is that possible can I still you know meet my goals and be productive without the kind of need to constantly be filling every waking moment with work Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's been kind of the mental shift or experiment, I guess, that I've been going through the last year plus um, since really since leaving my day job to focus on my art practice full time. It felt like such a privilege to have the opportunity to make that transition. And so I think um, I remember one of the things we talked about in that boundaries and burnout episode uh, was just kind of like reevaluating what that what that balance looks like. And mm-hmm. um, so I think 
that has been a theme for me is just like reconsidering what my what my days look like and what what the work balance looks like and so making the decision to put my studio practice first like that being the most important thing and then then figuring out how the podcast fits into that yeah so I think we've both realized how easy it is to fall into new patterns and new routines especially while on a break Mm -hmm. and so part of why we've just been a little bit slow to return is that we want to make sure, you know, A, that we're doing it in a way that's sustainable. Um, We're probably not going to be releasing episodes at the same pace as we were previously. Um, We've talked about shifting to a bi-weekly schedule um, and then just finding more ways behind the scenes to, you know, bring in a little bit more balance to our lives as artists. Yeah. uh, I remembered one of the things that also led to wanting to take a break from the podcast was I realized I was also just kind of mentally not having a great time, not doing fantastic. And, you know, most of that was burnout and just feeling really stressed and not knowing how to handle it very well or not handling it very well. Um, And so taking a break has been really helpful for that. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. But uh, yeah, it's so easy to fall into a new habit of the off season when we're not recording. And, you know, I miss you terribly when we're not recording because when we are recording, we're talking like every day almost. And when we're not recording, you know, weeks will go by. And I'm like, shit, I don't even know what's going on with Nicole. I got to check in with her. And, you know, whenever we catch up, it's like no time has passed at all. And we always get right back to it. But it is easy for a lot of time to pass, especially when you're busy. And I think we've both been pretty busy in our off time. If you want to kind of start catching our listeners up on on what we've been up to. And yeah, it feels like a lot has happened. And I think, yeah, we really wanted to kind of get back together and start recording again before the end of the year, because we didn't want too much time to pass before we share some of what's been going on Um, because I think part of the value of the podcast or what we've always like thought of it as is is this kind of time capsule and I think like being able to process things as we're going through them and to share you know things that are happening in our work lives in real time is really important and so I think we've each had uh, just a lot of new things crop up in the last uh, six or seven months and um, definitely wanted to come in and just try and summarize so that so that we can share what we're learning along the way. So yeah, I think when we released our last episode uh, was the start of the summer. And like I mentioned, I had just come back from this artist residency in Newfoundland in Canada where I was able to really focus on my painting practice. Um, Having that month away was a great opportunity to reset, I think, for me mentally and to just, again, really dedicate myself to painting. Uh, So we put a lot of other things on hold. We were actually still releasing episodes, but we had recorded everything in advance. So when we got back um, and then made the decision to take a little bit of time off, I was about to shift gears as well. For those that have been listening for a little while um, or have heard past interviews that Amanda and I have done, um, you may know a little bit of the story already, but I um, left my previous day job working in higher education in about April 2021 to take on this really large painting commission that I completed last year. And that really allowed me to make that change and to focus on my studio practice full time. Uh, And it gave me a lot of runway to be able to support the studio. So I had a sprinkling of other things happen throughout the year and, you know, other projects or painting sales, but it was really that one large commission that was sustaining me for a period of time. And I think between that and the other things I had going on, my own runway was sort of coming to an end. You know, I just passed the one year anniversary of being a a full-time working artist and you know always on the lookout for those next (laughs) projects Um, so I had been applying to a lot of public art projects uh, at the start of the year and 
I think while I was in Canada at that residency, I found out that I was selected as a finalist for two of them. So as soon as I got back, I was uh, really focused for the month of May on those two public art proposals. And we can probably go into this in more detail in a future episode. We've talked about um, some topical ideas, Amanda and I, that we might want to cover in more detail. So the, the public art process being one of them. Um, but it has been really fascinating because it is so different from uh, taking on other types of projects, I would say, or doing commercial commissions. Uh, so public art, as in um, like civic public projects, uh, you know, publicly funded, uh, essentially by taxpayer dollars, are um, are just like a, a very different ballgame. So I had these two public art proposals that I was working on, and just as like a general overview. Um, a lot of public art projects come th through open calls. So again, we can go into this in more detail in future episodes, but typically the, the process looks like, you know, you apply through an open call and then the committee will select a handful of artists that they want to submit proposals. And then from there, they'll, you know, select an artist that they want to award the project to. So the month of May, I was doing these two proposals and I found out that I was awarded one of the projects. So one of them I didn't get, but the other was for a public park and recreational center in Tempe, Arizona. So this felt like just another big milestone, I think, for me to feel like, okay, that first year or that first project wasn't a fluke. Like I can build on that and, you know, take that momentum and use it to generate new and larger projects and that, you know, I can actually make this sustainable. And so I, I don't know, I felt like, um, I think I'll have to like put more thoughts together on this when we go into the public art process in more detail later. But, but I really did have a good feeling about this project and I, I put a lot of time and energy into it that month. And so I felt like this was something that, you know, I'd been kind of building up towards or working towards for, a long time and um, I was really excited to sort of venture into this new territory because it's the first I guess permanent public art project or largest permanent public project I've worked on so far. So I found out about that in uh, late May and uh, really over the course of the last six months uh, we've just been slowly getting that project going um, so putting together some contracts, finalizing the designs, um, and where we are now towards the end of the year are just about to begin fabrication on one piece of it. Uh, so what's unique about this project is that there are, I guess, a variety of pieces within it. Uh, so I'm going to be creating a large outdoor mosaic work in addition to some interior glass features. Uh, for the building. So it's really multifaceted and um, again, just been really fascinating to go through this process because um, it overlaps with so many other parts of this greater construction project. Um, so for me, it's really the first opportunity to get to kind of like dip my toes into architectural design and collaborate with other teams like contractors or architects. And so some of the project, uh, namely the glass components, will be working with other fabricators on. But a big part of it, the mosaic piece, I'll actually be fabricating myself here at my studio in San Francisco. Um, so that's what we've been preparing to kind of shift into here towards the end of the year. So the summer was honestly a little slower for me. I think the break was well-timed because, you know, it was really about finding or regaining balance. But it's definitely been kind of shifting into a busier fall as we get ready to prepare for, you know, the fabrication phase of this public art project. And I guess the other big thing that's happened since then is that I decided to move my studio in San Francisco. Um, so I had been working out of a studio for the last maybe four years um, in, in South San Francisco in the Hunters Point neighborhood. And um, partly driven by this project and a few other things, I uh, decided that I was going to look for a larger studio space uh, still in the city. And so I found a spot in the Soma neighborhood. And in late September, early October, I ended up moving my studio 
um, into this larger space where I'm located now. So that was a huge move, just kind of packing everything up, uh, moving a lot of things over myself, and then really expanding my studio into this new space. Um, So really trying to... I guess invest in that growth and potential, you know, it felt like it felt like the right decision, but it also felt like it came with some inherent risk. You know, I had a really fortunate situation with my studio before the rent was really low for for San Francisco. And, um, you know, with this new space, I've really increased my overhead quite a bit. And so I think there's, you know, a, a little bit of risk involved with making those moves. But I also felt like it was you know, the right decision, the right time. And I'm hopeful that, you know, projects will continue to come and that it will generate new things. So it's it's been a really um, great move so far. I've been able to kind of settle in and get set up uh, over the last month or so and really just kind of dove right into new projects and paintings and then, um, again, getting ready to start this mosaic piece. So that's kind of summary of the last six months for me and fast forward to where we are now but it's been recording in your studio for the first time ever for the podcast I think I am (laughs) yes finally have internet which (laughs) is great and uh just uh recording slash painting studio Mm -hmm. oh yeah with the public art project we'll definitely be able to talk about it more in the future because you're like very much in the thick of it right now and like you know part way through the process so you got so much more to to do and learn from it yeah I have a lot of thoughts to share that I feel like um it would maybe like two in the weeds to get into right now but I've definitely learned a lot through both the uh the proposal like the design phase just going through that that process of being a finalist um Mm -hmm. and again like one of the projects I got one of them I didn't get uh just learning a lot about what even between those two, like how drastically different the, the proposal process was. Um, so I think a lot of it depends on the agency you're working with, um, the type of public project it is. So that's something that we can get into. And then obviously since this project has started, just the process of getting the, um, building out a contract for something that's kind of multifaceted like this and collaborating with you know, again, different uh, teams like uh, fabricators or contractors. That's all very new for me. What else? Uh, a lot about the, the, I guess, financial breakdown, like budgeting for public art projects, how to make sure that you are paying yourself a living wage as an artist, um, mm-hmm. because this is, you know, how I'm sustaining myself um, along with other commissions and projects and, you know, making sure all of your expenses are covered. And then in this case, I was just telling Amanda a little bit behind the scenes, uh, kind of a unique, I don't know, it's like situation with this this project in particular, uh, because it spans multiple years, is how to break down the budget in a way that works for you, not only so that you know your expenses and your your living expenses are covered, but thinking about how it impacts your taxes from year to year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something else that is um, that we've had to think about with this project because it's a little bit more long term. Um, so anyways, lots of things that we can get into. Um, I've been sharing a little bit about this in my own like Instagram and I've done some Q&As and things like that. But if there is anything that you want to know about the public art process or questions that you have, let us know um, because maybe we can cover that in a future topical episode. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is very much uh, your realm. So I can't like offer your services, but I'm excited to hear about it (laughs) as you (laughs) learn. So please, listeners, submit whatever questions you have because uh, I can't be the only one nosy and learning from what Nicole's going through. Yeah. And will you, I mean, Amanda, want to catch us up on your six months because you've been doing a lot of, uh, also lots of new types of projects. Yeah. I was going to say, did we, are we up to date with you? Did we get, are we, are we back to now? I think so. I mean, I guess public art projects and then the studio move are really, in a nutshell, the, the two big things that I've been going through and, you know, smattering of other small stuff, but that's the, those are the highlights. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's see my highlights. The biggest thing was 
I've filmed now six or seven music videos. So that came up really unexpectedly. Um, I had never filmed a music video before before we took our podcast break. (laughs) So this is all just (laughs) since the break. If you have listened to any of the episodes involving our partners, uh, my husband Mike is a musician and he's in a band. And he and his band have been working on this album that is now out. It's called Drift by Pianos Become the Teeth. You can listen to it uh, wherever you listen to music. And they were in the process of figuring out releasing their singles. And with each single, they wanted to release a music video. And they had commissioned this video from an artist and got the video back. And I'm not sure exactly what went wrong, whether there was like a miscommunication with the artist or the artist just like didn't do what they said they were going to do or visually it just like totally made no sense with the music, but it just wasn't, wasn't a good fit. And they were like, we can't use this video and they were going to not have a music video there. You know, Mike, of course, was pretty upset because he's like, man, we've been working so hard on, I mean, I'm sure they were all upset. You know, he was really bummed because he's like, oh, you know, it's it sucks that this person made a video and we can't use it. But it also sucks that, like, we have a single to release and we don't have any videos. We don't have anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And the band singer, Kyle, had suggested that we make a video in-house and just try. And I was like, well, I have a camera, so I can technically do that. Like, my uh, photo camera or my digital camera shoots video as well. And we had... Well, and you studied photography for yes. people that may not know. So that is your background, but video is new for you, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I am familiar with the camera, but film or video and photo, I realized real quick, are super different. I mean, just the way you line up the shots, the things to consider as far as the like quality and the way that they that you edit video, it, oh my God, it's so much harder to edit video than it is to edit photos. Or at least it is for <laughs> me right now. Cause like, I don't know what I'm doing with editing video. So it's a real trial by error and just like figuring it out as we go. But Kyle suggested we film a video. We were like, okay, we're going to try. Keep your expectations low. Um, <laughs> so he came over and we filmed a video and it ended up being a hell of a lot better than any of us expected and the band and the label really liked it and so they were like hey shoot the rest of the videos for the singles and we'll just do it all in-house so we filmed two more videos for mike's band and then after that it also is nice just getting paid by a record label which i feel like was a lot easier than getting paid by like a college like the labels paid faster than a college mm. does. Like not none of that like net ninety shit. We're, uh-huh. we're like oh four <laughs> months later, whatever. So that was just fun being like oh I have a a check with my name on it from Epitaph Records and this is the weirdest thing ever because I used to get their samples and the like their CDs in the mail yes. and from like you know so it's just young me was very excited for current me. But we, yeah, so we filmed a few more videos and then another band uh, here in Baltimore hired us to film four more videos. So we did, we just finished the third video and we're about to embark on a fourth, which will start next year, but I'm going to try, I'm not going to be ambitious enough to try like stop motion, which I really would like to do, but I'm going to try some, something a little different maybe something with like puppets or moving not in a creepy way but you know some kind of more interesting elements um for context like a few of the video or a couple of the videos we've done have been like performance videos where we're just filming the bands or artists as as they're performing the song and a few of them have been like kind of a a subtle story that we've put together involving extras and like actors quote unquote or me and Mike like throwing ourselves into a shot because we need a a person there 
and Mike and I have been, I don't know if I even said that, Mike and I have been working on the videos together fully. Um, I've been filming, we like direct and produce them together in person. And then he takes over doing all of the like editing as far as sequencing out the video. And then I will come back in and do like color correction and uh, make sure that like visually the aesthetic is right. So it's been really wild because I have not collaborated with another artist aside from you, Nicole, which the podcast feels very safe because it's like such an unfamiliar thing for both of us that mm-hmm. there's no like stepping on each other's toes. We're, we're just like, yeah, we're figuring this out. This is weird and hard, but we're in it together. And it's been interesting <laughs> learning how yeah. to communicate in a creative collaboration with my partner. I mean, he's used to collaborating because he's been in bands for half his life. Yeah. And so he's used to hearing someone else be like, no, I don't like your idea. And I'm like, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the podcast also isn't an art piece. So I feel like that's such a different type of collaboration to Mm -hmm. be willing to share your creative ideas and something that you really feel... I mean, gosh, I, f- I just, I'm trying to imagine. Yeah, it feels more like a social practice, whereas that's more of yeah. a visual practice. And like, I can't yeah. imagine what inviting someone into my studio and like trying to make a painting together would look like. It would just be like, be like I don't know. I, it would be just so vulnerable. I'm not sure. And you, so you would have to have a really a certain level of trust. And mm-hmm. um, I just think it's so cool how this has snowballed for you, too, where what started out as like a like a disappointment or a crisis or something, it was like they, mm-hmm. you know, were in a last minute bind where they didn't have a video became an opportunity for yeah. you all to experiment and just try something new. And it's kind of led you into this completely unexpected mm-hmm. like territory and oh yeah I think it's cool too how like we've both been starting to expand into different mediums in the last couple of months since we talked and mm-hmm. yeah again just for you and Mike to get to collaborate together in that way which is hard to do I would think as a a married couple I mean yeah. just creating a strong marriage and relationship is one thing but then to layer on top of that a creative collaboration where Mm -hmm. you're combining both of your visions and something that's you know very personal to each of you yeah and then finding out how to work together through that process is just maybe this is also another topical episode because I feel like there's so much we could get into there oh absolutely yeah because we've I mean we've done episodes on creative partnerships where you you know you are in a relationship of, of some sort with another creative person and you, you know, kind of feed off of or fuel each other's creative energies. But yeah, collaborating with someone creatively has been a completely different experience. And I, I'm learning a lot from Mike from it because he is so experienced with it. He's very good at like taking criticism at like holding his thoughts at letting other people create in their way and following their process. And I am having a terrible time learning how to do that. Cause I'm like, no, you should do things my way. Why are you doing it your way? That's terrible and disgusting. And I hate it. And even though it works great and I love your work, you should be doing it my way because I'm involved and I want things my way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a spoiled little bee and um, it's been an adventure, but I have learned some very valuable lessons and the fact that Mike and I kind of have clear defined roles in where we take over has made it easier because I'm like, okay, when you're editing, I will not be in the room because if I am in the room, I am going to be backseat driving and it is going to annoy you. And if I am just gone, then I don't know what you've done or, you know, what you've tried. And so I can't be like, I liked that last thing better. And he's like, that was a mistake or, you know, whatever. I'm learning when to, uh, I don't know, I guess we have times where we say, I'm going to show you something. I'm not ready for feedback yet. Or I'm going to show you something. Give me your thoughts and sort of 
creating open and closed door situations of like, all right, now it's good, good to go for feedback or nope, not ready for feedback yet. And sort of um, giving each other space to work in our own processes uninterrupted from the other's process because I clearly work differently than Mike does. And it's very rude of me to try to, <laughs> you know, force him to work my way just because I'm there. And he's, you know, he's very respectful of my creative space. And uh, so that's what I'm learning. But luckily, I can just tap into his like 15 years of creative collaboration knowledge. And yeah, he is endlessly patient. It's also just good communication strategy in general, like figuring out how to Mm -hmm. verbalize what you need. And even if you're just confiding in somebody, like, are you looking just to vent? Are you looking for advice? I mean, those things, I think, come with experience and time. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's really cool how you've been able to collaborate together on something like this. And especially because, I mean, I can identify with what you are going through because I think whether it's through the music videos with you and Mike or this public art project that I'm working on, I feel like we're both coming at it from the background or perspective of being independent artists. So the work that we usually make is very Mm self-driven. Like we're used to working very independently in our studios as opposed to either of us having, like being the type of artist that is doing really community-driven work or like you said, you know, has a social practice Um, I think we're more kind of like independent studio artists in that sense. But as we're either like exploring new mediums or just working at a larger scale or, um, you know, getting to do this different kind of commission work, uh, it just necessitates a new kind of collaboration. And I feel like it's been yeah, such an interesting learning experience. And obviously there are really great things that can come of that, like, you know, maybe you can make a video by yourself, but there's just so much more that you can do when you are working together with others or other teams or bringing in different skill sets to it. So just navigating through that. And I know for me, like, it's been very new territory also to, I think like what I've been learning is when to, when to speak up and really advocate for the work, like determining what is most essential about a project so that I can make sure that that vision is realized versus when to be a fly on the wall and just kind of listen into conversations and learn from other people who work in really entirely different fields, whether it's architecture or fabrication or um, construction. And so I think recognizing what what you don't know, like what your skill sets are not, like what are the things that I want to learn and that I want to be involved in. And then what aspects of the project do I just want to kind of like step back and let other other professionals, uh, you know, step in or what do those dynamics look like? So um, I think that's been a really interesting process for, for me too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, this is connected, but a slight segue. I don't know if you've really felt this with trying, or I guess you'll probably be feeling it more as you get into fabrication mode, but just trying new methods of art making that are unfamiliar and kind of dealing with that (laughs) frustration of trying something unfamiliar, especially when you have spent like a decade plus establishing a different form of art making where you're in that area, finally getting to a point where you're like, I'm starting to be able to make my visions happen on the thing I it's starting to like connect a little more to what I see in my brain like the uh the skill set is beginning to match the vision but then you take on a totally new form of art making and realize of course a lot of that information does translate but a lot of it doesn't and you're just like oh shit like (laughs) I mean for me it's like oh shit photo is not video and like yeah some of it is but enough of it isn't to make me feel really frustrated in the process because I'm like, I don't know how to make it do what I want to make it do because I don't know enough about it yet to know how to manipulate it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying because it's, yeah, it's taken like 10 plus years just to feel like I can communicate through paint in a way that 
you know, is close to what I'm envisioning, you know, just to develop that like fluency with the material. And so I think, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll have more to share on this once I really do get into the fabrication um, with this mosaic piece, but I do feel like there's been a lot of anticipation. I've never really worked on a project this long-term before. And it's funny because in my mind, this process is so much longer and slower than any other, mm-hmm. you know, painting or commission project that I've worked on. But everybody else in the like public art sphere keeps referring to this as like a fast track project. So oh, wow. <laughs> I think, I, or I realize that, you know, sometimes these projects can take years really to mm-hmm. come to fruition. So the fact that we're, you know, doing it in the span of a year is, is relatively quickly. Um, but it still feels like there's been so much planning involved and meetings and research over the last six months that it, it feels like I'm just about to step onto a roller coaster that's about to take off. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's excitement, but there is also some anticipation of, um, you know, finally like starting to put the pieces together, literally, of this mosaic. And I don't know. I think I always, I believe in kind of like stepping into things wholeheartedly. I think like in the way that you and Mike have done, just like fully immersing yourself in this new process. I I think like those types of challenges are what excite me. So getting to, you know, not just do a mosaic piece, but to do like a 700 square foot mosaic piece is Mm -hmm. maybe like the only way that I would want to step into a new material. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I think I'm excited about that aspect of it, but I, I think there's definitely going to be a bit of a learning curve and it's interesting now that I'm hearing you describe this, cause I think one of the reasons I wanted to create this mosaic myself was, you know, a, because it was a chance to try a new material. Um, but I've also been kind of like looking at how I can replicate my painting process through mosaic. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's how. I'm trying to bridge that gap is thinking yeah. of like how how do I approach my paintings whether it's like through color or like how I would build a space or even just that you know my work is really abstract and it's the celebration of color and form and so the mosaic that I'm making is also that you know it's not a narrative or representational but it's about kind of celebrating the inherent qualities and color of the material and so thinking about um, things like the shape and the scale and negative space like getting to uh, just think about that relationship between the overall piece and then these like individual tiles and how are those related and so I think there is a lot of overlap at least conceptually for me and how I'm approaching this mosaic and how I would approach my paintings in the studio But yeah, one of the things I think I forgot to mention um, that I did do to try and prepare over the summer, when I was doing research for the proposal, I had kind of stumbled upon this process, uh, or this was actually how I decided to include a mosaic piece in the proposal, was that I stumbled on this process called litho mosaic, uh, which refers to the technique that the mosaic gets installed by. So I can go into more detail on this at a later time, but um, basically I found this litho mosaic process. Uh, It's a patented technique. uh, So there's an artist couple that's based in Southern California that created it. And so they work with artists um, who are doing similar projects as kind of consultants on this process and technique. And so when I found out that I won the project, I reached out to them for some insight or advice. And long story short, there were a couple of other artists that had been working on similar bids for uh, litho mosaic projects around the country. And so she invited us down to her studio in Southern California for a workshop and demo to show us their studio and to, uh, you know, work with us on our proposal. So on lovely. Our- yeah, to like take a look at our proposals, um, which was amazing to get that invitation, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I knew I had to take advantage of it. Um, so I went down there for this two day workshop and work with him in their studio. And that was enormously helpful to get to, you know, work alongside another more experienced artist and mm-hmm. to have them, you know, take us through the process for creating the mosaic, like what materials they get just things to keep in mind, you know, to take a look at what we had 
proposed and then to give us feedback on or like here are things to consider as you're putting this together mm-hmm. um, so those kinds of things I think really helped to um, you know build confidence around being able to then go off and do this project myself so those are things and you even mentioned this just in getting to learn from Mike's experience when it came to the collaboration part even though video was really new for you all so I think we're always I don't know, there's something to be said for having that like beginner's mind or mm-hmm. I think it can be a good thing when you don't necessarily have the like the full history uh, behind you to sort of weigh you down. It's like you're, that can be a strength too. Like you're yeah. entering into video from the you know point of view of a photographer or I'm coming at this mosaic piece uh, from the background of a painter. And so I think that can lend a really interesting perspective to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like, you know, seeking out support or advice when you need it, um, whether, you know, other artists that are more familiar with the material and things like that. Oh, yeah. And that, that kind of reminds me of, I think Marie Forleo said this, even if you are experiencing something that you think you are familiar with, try not to have the mindset of like, I know this already. Just try to always have the mindset, what can I learn from this? And that's that has been like one of my biggest takeaways, even from her, of like just approach everything with the idea of like, what can I learn from this? I'm learning so much in these areas where it's like very unfamiliar because I'm very cognizant of the concept that like this is unfamiliar to me you're just fucking learning right now and I don't know I'd like to be better about bringing that attitude kind of everywhere even places where it may seem familiar it may seem like something I already know but I don't know something you said made me think of that yeah yeah I totally agree and I think it's important for any creative practice to look for ways to introduce new things into the work I think it helps to, I mean, I'm sure that making this mosaic piece will, or I hope, you know, it will bring maybe new perspective to the paintings or get me to then look at my paintings in a new way. And so I think even if they're, you know, very distinct bodies of work or, you know, very different projects, um, I just think that like attitude or perspective will inevitably shape your relationship to like the core thing that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all, all that knowledge and and experience, it all comes to you still, the artist individual. So that gets added to your tool belt of whatever you bring to whatever part of your practice you approach. Before I completely abandon the creative collaboration topic, Nicole and I had a catch up call a few weeks ago, just taking a temperature check on the podcast and seeing how we were feeling. And we we're both like, I miss it. Let's go. So hence, we're here recording now again. You had been talking to someone about creative collaboration and them saying that it was like a love language. And I thought that was really oh, sweet. Yeah. And I wanted- Shout out to my friend, Jessie Laura. She mentioned that um, her and her husband had been working together on some things and that she felt like her love language was creative collaboration. And I just love that. I feel like we can both relate to that. And I'd never heard that before, but I think that's definitely true for many artists. Probably it's that like version of quality time that we most appreciate is getting to work together on something that we're both, you know, passionate and are invested in. Oh yeah. And I really love that when you had shared that with me, Um, because even though, of course, I express my frustration of like, ah, it's hard to collaborate. It's frustrating, but that it is some, it is really beautiful, and I have wanted to like creatively collaborate with my romantic partner for as long as we've been together. Because, like, I, you know, he was a musician since before we met, and even though I complained a bunch about how hard it is to collaborate because, you know, I'm grumpy and stubborn and it's challenging to be challenged. I don't like it. Um, However, I, I really love creatively collaborating. Um, It's amazing to get that feedback in the moment. And like when, I don't know, when Mike gives me ideas or challenges an idea of mine, 
I'm like, oh, actually, that is a good idea. Or I like I like the way you're thinking. I do feel like it has been a fun thing to add to our relationship dynamic. And probably our communication skills within our relationship has helped with the communication within collaborating. Oh, and I was going to say before, because I, I talked about music videos, but as far as close call studio stuff... I had mentioned before, like after I did my taxes, I was sort of shocked at my numbers. And I think I had been sort of treating this year with Close Call Studio sort of creating intuitively and kind of making whatever I felt like, which has been really fun. And I think I've made a lot of really interesting things, but I didn't really have a strategy around it. And I wasn't really thinking about like the numbers I needed to be making behind my shop updates. I was just like, oh, I'll do one for this, one for this, one for this. And so I sort of just had to use that time to re-figure out like, all right, how much money do I actually need to make? I probably need to be raising my prices again. I don't know if you've noticed, but supply chain issues, inflation issues, they're all affecting all of us. All the issues. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as like 2020 was the year of shop small, support small business, I think a lot of people have gotten or a lot of people are also broke and don't have the money that they had a couple years ago. Because, yeah, I think that's just been a thing I've noticed with a lot of other artists that I've talked to um, that like work for themselves as far as sales being down and just having to kind of restructure look at their numbers, figure it out. So that's what I've been kind of doing. And I wanted to say there was a podcast I had listened to with this. Uh, I think the the guy is like a financial advisor. This podcast was recommended to me by my brother, who is a financial advisor. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of hilarious because it, the podcast is called I Will Teach You To Be Rich with Ramit Sethi. And I've heard of him. He has like a program that he'll put people through to kind of do financial planning for them. And so when they go in the program, he's like, also, I'll put you on my podcast and we're going to talk about like your actual numbers on the podcast. So you know, like how much these people make, how much they spend. I mean, you don't know their last names, but you you hear a lot of (laughs) like real number talk. And the host is also kind of hilarious because he is like no bullshit with people but he's very funny and so he'll like call people out in the moment and it's hilarious but also helpful because it's not in a mean way it's just any like Mm -hmm. you're kidding yourself or like do you hear yourself (laughs) kind of way and there was a episode um i'll have to find it and share it where one of the people on the episode owns their own business and had uh been in business for a few years and their business was not yet profitable. And the as I was listening to the episode at first, I was like, oh man, like this person's partner and the host are going like real in on them. Like they're being so hard on this small business person. And of course I'm like overly identifying with them. And I'm like, no, be nice to them. They're doing their mm-hmm. best. They love what they do. And maybe they don't care about making much money. Maybe they care about making their stuff. And, you know, of course, yeah. I'm getting defensive because I'm triggered. But after a little bit of tough talk, then comes in the why of the tough talk. And it was a lot of stuff that I needed to hear about, like, hey, if you are basically donating your labor to your business, you're selling yourself short on your own numbers and you're making yourself think that you're more successful than you are. And it's a very common thing when you start working for yourself to kind of donate your time because that's the most, I don't know, flexible uh, asset you have essentially is your own Mm -hmm. labor. But there comes a time where like, if you're choosing to work for yourself, it should be at least in part because the job you offer yourself is better than a job someone else would offer you. And, you know, run that through your own values, whether it's better find, you know, better money, better benefits, better time, or some combination of any of that or something unmentioned. And mm-hmm. yeah, it it was just a helpful talk that I needed to hear. And so I've been kind of trying to find ways to 
make my business work a little better for me and not be working so much for my business. Uh, just constantly trying to be the like, if life is bowling and the gutter is the hustle, I'm trying to be <laughs> the little like gutter bumpers that keep me out of like falling back into the habit of hustle, which is the gutter in my brain. I was not <laughs> expecting that metaphor, but I love it. Yeah, I don't know. I I love a random metaphor. And I'll mix my metaphors <laughs> if I feel like it. But anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that was all the things that I wanted to share. Uh, trying to... Or, <laughs> and on that note. Yeah, in that note, now I do music videos. Trying new art <laughs> is hard but gratifying. Took a much-needed break, which was good, like, for the art and the mental health and the burnout and uh, trying to be better about planning my finances. And now that, you know, I've worked for myself exclusively for like five-ish years, I feel like that's been enough time to kind of see my annual yeah. progress, to be able to have a clear point of like, oh, okay, that was a better year. Why? Because the pie charts have been very helpful as far as the income streams, but mm -hmm. knowing a little bit more information about the year to year has been helpful. So just trying to take that information to make better decisions. Um, oh, sorry. Another thing I forgot to mention. It's like, have I even looked at my notes in this call? Um, <laughs> I forgot. I want to go back to craft shows next year. And oh, yeah. it's funny because I feel like either the podcast episode we did like at the beginning of this year or last year or whatever, I was like, I'm done with podcast or sorry, I'm done with craft shows. I'm not doing it anymore. It's too hard. It's too stressful. I'm just going <laughs> to sell online. Um, and that worked for a little bit, but I realized that I really miss meeting with artists in person and like being able to meet my customers and be able to craft shows were my favorite place to get art and like trade with other makers and artists that are there and like just staying in touch with my local community. So I'm going to try to get back to that. And, um, oh yeah, have met up with a few artists lately, which is just getting me jazzed for like the podcast and getting back to more in-person stuff. I think I have it all now. <laughs> that covers it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really that was the like impetus behind starting Beyond the Studio was being able to talk about all of those behind the scenes, you know, like thinking and the whole like business development side of it. Because I think you know we most of us became artists because we had this drive to create and we love what we do, and you know, for it, it's not a really traditional route into starting your own business, <laughs> and so I think you know, having to like navigate that or just negotiate all of the realities around making a living and all of the practical decisions between, you know, balancing the work that you want to make and getting paid for that work and the work, what type of work you're making so you can continue to support your practice. I mean, all of those things are what we really wanted to dig into here. So I appreciate that we have the space to do it. And I feel like what we've both been talking a little bit about too, just through this, like different forms of creative collaboration or, you know, expanding into new mediums, I think is also a form of diversifying our income streams. I mean, Close Call Studio is your bread and butter, but within that, I always see you experimenting with developing new, new types of work uh, mm -hmm. or just shifting the balance between felted objects and illustrations and printmaking and, you know, all of those things feed into Close Call Studio, but now introducing this new um, potentially lucrative income stream through, you know, video and yeah. video editing. And so I think that's one or like just a way of continuously experimenting with what our business model looks like. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that we're always doing and I'm always learning from you because you have had that benefit of time and being able to see those cycles and patterns in your business from year to year whereas I feel much earlier in that process and that I've only been working full-time for 
about a year and a half now. And, you know, my studio business, quote unquote, has only been profitable for the last maybe two to three years. And so there have been these really kind of dramatic shifts. And so I haven't been able to zoom out and see those same kinds of patterns or cycles. But I also feel like our our businesses or like business model is really different. And I oh, really yeah. relied on project-based work and even more specifically like these larger projects to sustain me um, and then have these other you know, things like commissions or painting sales to kind of fill in the gaps. But I think part of why I've been striving for these larger public art projects is so that I can, you know, continue to build a sustainable art practice for myself in addition to just the creative fulfillment of getting to, you know, expand into different mediums. So I think like these are definitely things that we're thinking about. And I think what we wanted to, I guess, highlight through Beyond the Studio is that, you know, every artist has to kind of contend with this. And if we can shed a little light on what that looks like, at least for us and for the other artists that we're interviewing, uh, hopefully it can help, you know, in the same way that this financial podcast kind of helps shift perspective on your own your own situation. I think, oh, yeah. you know, our hope is that Beyond the Studio can do the same for other artists. Oh, yeah. Plus, I'm just nosy. I just want to know, how are people doing things? What are, what are people's real numbers look like? I just, I want to know all these things. Yeah. So what, uh, what do we think moving forward? Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like there are some topical episodes in our future mm-hmm. to dive a little deeper into some of these things Mm -hmm. um like we can get into the public art process or creative collaboration but Mm -hmm. i won't make everyone sit through those topics if you're not interested in public art we'll just make that its own episode so that (laughs) those that are interested can go straight there um and then yeah i'm sure uh we'll be introducing some artist interviews again soon Mm -hmm. and i think for us too in the podcast just uh, incorporating it back into our routine and our schedule, or that's what I'm, I guess, thinking about is going forward and in, in the new year, just kind of bringing it all together. Oh yeah, I'm excited. And before we took our break, Nicole and I kind of sat down and figured out what we wanted to do when we came back, so that when we come back, it wouldn't be quite so tough. Like we sort of gave ourselves set days of when we're allowed to schedule stuff for the podcast and you know obviously adjusting the release frequency will expand our bandwidth to be able to work on a lot of the things that we've had on the back burner which have been like a lot of folks that we've been wanting to collaborate with and interviews we wanted to do um just finding ways to monetize the podcast in a way that's more sustainable so that it can really pay for itself so that we don't have to take these big breaks to go do our our paying jobs to come back and bring our energy here. So we're excited to have the space to kind of implement a bunch of new ideas or I guess they're not new ideas. They're old ideas that we have have yet to Old ideas that hopefully we'll finally have time to start incorporating. Yes. Um, We're really excited to be back. Nicole and I have missed each other and you, listeners. Dear, dear, sweet listeners, thank you for staying subscribed and loyal to our podcast as we are human. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also, I wanted to say for any listeners that have reached out, asked how we're doing, that follow our work, that keep in touch, thank you so much. It means, I really can't even express how much it means to Nicole and I uh, to have you guys following along on our journey and learning along with us. And whenever we hear feedback from you guys about, you know, if you love the show or learn something from an episode or I actually I was talking to Katie Pumphrey the other day, one of our our previous guests, and she had said how she had gotten like a really great note from one of our listeners 
that oh, had reached so out to her because they had loved her episode. And so I I hope that you guys are also sending like wonderful supportive notes to the artists that we have on the show and we hope that you guys are doing okay and thanks for oh, I love that you know thanks for looking out for us and and for following along our journeys and we're excited to continue to share what we learn with you and to bring on more artists to talk about more topics more art just more in general we're excited to be back yes amen that's all for today's episode of beyond the studio You can find episode notes, images, links, and references over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to submit to our listener spotlight and sign up for our email list to find out about upcoming guests, events, special announcements, podcast giveaways, and more. If you love listening to Beyond the Studio, please leave us a rating and review and share the show with your creative community. Thanks! good sorry (laughs) nicole is choking on water (laughs) but she's smiling so she's fine sorry i'm okay oh i was trying to like take a sip so quietly and then i just swallowed it the wrong way so now i've just ruined the whole thing yeah um (laughs) shut it down the podcast is over we'll be back next year (sighs) we tried Talk soon. Signing off. That's all, folks.